Welcome to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast, the resource for parents and students navigating the college planning process. Felicia Gopal, founder of collegefundingresource.com and creator of the College Decision Navigator System, talks with world-class college planning experts who openly and honestly share the triumphs and challenges families face every day in helping their children get into and pay for the colleges of their choice. We want you to feel like you're sitting down with our experts and getting their best ideas without paying their considerable consulting fees. So sit back and relax as Felicia interviews others about the issues and concerns of selecting colleges, competing for a coveted place in a class, and ultimately paying for the colleges that admit your kids. Hello, everybody. This is Felicia Gopal, host of the College Expert Talk podcast. This is episode 19. Today we're going to be discussing the Common App, which students across America are downloading and strategizing about in preparation for college applications. The number of schools accepting the Common App has recently been expanded to, I think I saw something that was uh, 488. So anyways, today's guest is Dr. Pamela Ellis, the education doctor who has 20 years of education research and was formerly a financial executive in the private sector. Dr. Pamela's Compass curriculum was developed through research on transition and retention and first piloted at um, Stanford University with a high school writing program. She brings her base of research knowledge and client service excellence to families so that they can be strategic and intentional about educational. And I think that's one of the things that I am really trying to do with this particular podcast is make sure that students and families have the information that they need in order to be strategic and intentional. So today's guest really fits in with that. She's a graduate of Stanford University and the Tech School of Business at Dartmouth College. She received her doctorate degree from Stanford University School of Education, and you can catch her weekly online as the host of her own podcast, The Education Doctor Radio Show. So today's guest, thank you. I appreciate you being here, Dr. Pamela. Please say hello. Thank you, Felicia. So let's talk about this common application. I went onto their website and they say that the common application is open to colleges and universities that promote access to evaluating students on a holistic selection basis. What the heck does that mean? Well, that's a big word to say that we look at everything about the students. So we look at the transcript, we look at test scores, we look at teacher recommendations. We look at the context of that school situation in terms of determining if a student should be admitted to our college. And so that's what the holistic process is really all about. So it's not just looking at only a student's athletic ability to determine admission or only looking at the student's test score to determine admission. So it's a lot more to being admitted. And that's what that holistic phrase means. Well, I mean, you know, I'm newly on the college admission side. So this is all kind of new to me. But one of the things is I thought that everybody looked at students holistically. Well, they don't. And (laughs) that's why you only have a subset of all the colleges out there that are actually part of the common application, because there are 
close to three over 3,000 colleges and universities here in the U.S. and only 500 are on the common application. Those are the ones who truly commit to that holistic process looking at everything about the student. Okay. So the other schools just look at... Do they just look what? at test scores? Do they just look at... It really does vary by the school. And some schools can commit to a holistic process or say that they look at other factors about the student in their admissions, but they do not necessarily have to abide by that when they are doing their own application. The common application has specific questions that they're asking. And so... A school may not care about that particular concern, or perhaps they want to know more about whether or not you're a legacy in terms of determining admission. Every school really does it differently. And so students should be keenly aware about the admissions policy or purpose, if you will, in terms of knowing how will their application be evaluated. Perfect. Are there advantages for using the Common App? Well, in some cases, students may not have any choice but to use it because there are colleges that are Common App exclusive, meaning that they do not offer any type of application on their website or available on paper. It's only through the Common App. And so in that case, that's an advantage because you don't have any other way to apply to that college. But otherwise, it can save some time. But one of the things that families should know and students especially should be aware of is that there are things that are common to the common application, such as the demographic information and your two basic essays, but everything else is different. And a lot of colleges will have supplements to the common app. So you may think you only have two essays to write, but it turns out you really have 15 essays to write. And so that's where it's really an uncommon application. (laughs) Okay, got it. So what I've heard you say is that with the common app, a number of schools use it. Do they tend to be the most difficult to get into um, that are moving towards the common app? Is there anything that you could say about what types of schools use the Common App as opposed to schools that don't? You know, not really, Mrs. Gopal, because the colleges and universities that are on the Common App are those that commit to that holistic admissions process. But there are other selective colleges that may not be on the Common App at all. And there are colleges that earlier on may not have been considered selective, but indeed have become more selective as more students are applying Okay. in terms of the number that they can actually admit each year. So I wouldn't say that colleges that are on there are necessarily the only selective colleges that a student can apply to. For example, I don't that MIT is on the Common App. There are a lot of colleges that will open their online applications and earlier in the springtime for the following year. And a number of them are not Common App 
exclusive, but there's still selective colleges, like for example, a Georgetown that will have their application open, but the Common App isn't ready until August 1st of senior year. Okay. So what I'm asking, or what I was going to ask you about the Common App was, do you see that there are some common mistakes that students make when using the Common App? Ooh, yeah, there are a couple of them. One of them is certainly with the activities resume that's embedded on the Common Application. And it's not the same format as a typical activities resume, but includes most of the information. And so for that particular part of the Common Application, students are supposed to prioritize their activities and oftentimes a common mistake is that students do not prioritize their activities in a uh, sincere or authentic way. They're prioritizing them based on what they think will get them in. Mm. And so that is something that's the first common mistake that I would see. Secondly, is in the essays. Students really sometimes may choose an essay that really doesn't fit with their story in telling their story. And in the essays, there are two primary essays that students write for the common application. One is a general elaboration on an activity. And the second one is choosing a topic out of six choices. And students sometimes want to gain the game a bit by choosing a topic that they think will sound enlightened or sound <laughs> like something that the admissions readers want to hear, but it's really about authenticity in terms of what they have to say. And one of the, the last question on there is around choose a topic of your choice. And I really caution students in terms of choosing that because oftentimes if they look at the other questions, whatever they want to talk about, that's going to be compelling, it's within those other questions. And so coming up with something new for the sake of newness isn't really the best idea. And then thirdly, there is a section in the common application where students can add information that is not on any other place on the common application. And students should take advantage of that in additional information, especially if they need to explain some grades or explain some other information that's not available in any of the other sections. That's a place that they can take advantage of that oftentimes students will overlook. And then the fourth one, I actually have five. <laughs> the fourth one in terms of a common mistake is that students will will not know all of the other pieces to the common application. They may print off the first section, but not look at the other sections of the common application. So I really urge students to look at the other sections so that they know how teachers evaluate my performance in their class and, and evaluate me as a student. So knowing that really makes a difference in terms of what they write about. And then the fifth mistake I would say is redundancy. 
And by that, students will talk about the same thing in each of the sections. And I really caution them against that in terms of really telling their story in a way that only they can tell it, but not talking about the same thing. Just think about it in terms of who's going to be reading it, and you don't want to bore that person and see you in a one-dimensional way. Those sound like five things that students can really benefit from uh, learning in terms of how to approach the Common App. So let me just ask you, is there any advice that you would give someone who is completing the Common App right now? Definitely so. I would say to students, do not do it in one sitting. And oftentimes students may feel pressed for time, particularly in the fall, feeling pressed for time that they want to get it done. And so I urge them to spend some time with the essay, not belaboring the essays, but really spending some time in terms of sleeping on their initial draft, as opposed to writing it all in one sitting and sending it out. So that would be the key thing in terms of advice to students now who are working on the common application. Well, you know, it really kind of mirrors what I've learned over time. I, I make the joke about I'm brilliant at three o'clock in the morning, you know, so, <laughs> you know, when you have that burst of energy at three o'clock in the morning, it's just like you're really brilliant. But sometimes in the light of day, the brilliance is not quite as brilliant right. as it was at three o'clock in the morning. So right. I think that that is always good advice to not just take the time to write it, but take the time to really polish it and hone it over time. And if you wait to the last minute, I think that's kind of the message right. that you're saying is don't wait to the last minute so that you have to fill out the common app at the last time, but take the time yeah. to do it, especially since it's uh, released several months before you're actually going to need to start to use it in your college admissions. Exactly, exactly. That is so true. And the other thing that I would add with that is in the uh, supplemental essays, which sometimes students may not find out about until later in their process, is to really spend some time with those supplemental essays. And if they say it's optional, it's really not optional. <laughs> okay. So that sounds like another thing they need to know. Is yeah. It's like, it's say it's optional, but it really no. isn't optional. Write that essay. <laughs> write that essay. An extra hour, just complete the essay. And students, I want to say in terms of just on the essay piece, because that really is a lot of where my heart is, because I know that in writing the essays, that's really where students have control and can distinguish themselves. Because quite frankly, a lot of high school students have strong transcripts. They've all taken AP courses. They've all done X, Y, and they've done community service and everything else. But where they really get to distinguish themselves is in the essays. And they have complete control over the essays. So I encourage them to go through the full writing process. So that means actually brainstorming what you're going to write about and thinking about that and then doing a draft and revising and finalizing as opposed to writing it and being done. And the real trick in terms of brainstorming and drafting 
is handwriting it, handwriting it. Every student knows that when they come into my center to work with me, the pencils are out, <laughs> the pens are out. And just writing it down by hand changes the way you think about it. And so if you can just have that extra time in the beginning to handwriting it, it really makes a huge difference in the actual final product and the quality of it. So I urge students to go through that full writing process to handwrite it first and read it aloud. Mm. You know what? I have got a eight-year-old and 11-year-old, and I can't tell you how often I tell them to read it out loud because when I'm reading it, I'm just like, this just doesn't make any sense. If you could hear right. it, you would know that this doesn't make sense, and you can't connect this to this because there seems like there's something missing in between. Exactly. Exactly. And I will do it a couple of ways when my students come in. I will have them read it aloud, and sometimes I read it aloud so that they can hear it. And I just say, well, while I'm reading, I want you to jot down any changes that come to mind for you or places where you feel like something is missing in this story. And so that has been really helpful for them because oftentimes they don't take that step of reading it aloud or hearing it read aloud for them. Right. Yeah. I think that's a key and critical step. So let me just kind of take a step back and ask you, you know, I was just talking with somebody earlier today. My family emphasized college. It was just like, it wasn't a question of going to college. That wasn't even a question in my house. You were going to college. It was just a question of which college were you going to go to. And mm -hmm. so I'm asking, how did you get started with your business? Oh, um... Gosh, I'm thinking for a moment because I want to give you the short version. <laughs> it's like with every story, there's always a long version and a short version. And with me, as far as the work that I'm doing now directly with families, it really came about through the request of families. And so I had been working with school districts and state education agencies and other families that knew about my work asked me if I would work with them privately. And so that's how it really came about. And I just don't know how it could have come about any other way because this has always been a passion for me that education research actually gets to families that can use it. And one of the reasons I didn't go into academia was because so much of what's published when you're an academician is published for other faculty. And it's in these smaller journals that only other scholars read. And the work that I want to do, I want it to reach parents and give them some tools that they can use in terms of supporting their teens and children throughout their educational journey. So that's the short story of how I got into this work that I'm doing with families. You know, it really kind of mirrors a lot of what I talk about when I am talking openly and honestly about why I 
do what I do because people are asking me, well, why do you do the podcast? You know, why do you write the articles? Or why are you an expert on this site or that site? And I talk about it in terms of there's lots of information out there. So it's not like you can't find the information, but it's also about being able to synthesize and take that information and bring it into your own life. So Common App is not something that everybody needs to do, but for those people who need to use the Common App, they need to have a good resource that is going to tell them credible information that they're going to be able to use to basically fill out and complete the Common App to Mm -hmm. their benefit. So it's really about, for my particular purpose, this podcast series is really about taking all the information that's out there and bringing to the families that listen to this the Mm -hmm. information from experts themselves who are working with this every single day and telling them and sharing with them what you need to know because again you know one of the beauty of the internet is there's lots of information out there but not all the information is good not all the information is up to date you could be looking at something that was true you know x number of years ago that is no longer true now i talk to parents all the time who are talking about oh when I went to college, my parents basically said, you're on your own. And then I filled out the financial aid forms and was able to get lots and lots of money. And I was just like, yeah, that's exactly why they closed that loophole, you know, because Mm -hmm. parents were doing that. But if you're thinking and coming into the process thinking, this is the way I'm going to do it based on what I did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you've got information that is inaccurate and is not going to serve you. So this podcast series and having you on here to talk about the Common App is really about talking and giving people the resources that they need in order to make informed decisions today with today's information, not yesterday's information. Exactly. That is so true. And I think the key thing that you and I both bring is it's not just the information, but it's insight. Tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that. Information is just more general and pervasive insight brings in experience and an understanding that's deeper than what the information on the surface shares. I'm, I'm nodding my head, not saying anything. I realize that. Yeah, but that, but that is the distinction. Right. You know, providing that trustworthy way so that families can know that what we're sharing isn't just everyday information that won't be helpful for them. So that's how I phrase it in terms of talking with families about why it's different in terms of our discussion versus what they see on the internet or somewhere else or just in talking with a neighbor. Got it. So is there any final advice that you'd like to share and give to our audience? Gosh, there's so much uh, I'd like to say. I'm just pausing for a moment to think about something that will be helpful but doesn't get us into another topic. I would say hanging in there with the process. And I know that in terms of applying to college, it can be frustrating at times, but I encourage families to really keep their head on about 
what it will take in terms of going through the applications, writing the essays, completing all the forms and the follow through, but just really sticking with it and knowing that in the end, it will work itself out. Perfect. So one of the things that I like to do is I like to give my guests the opportunity to share their contact information. So if somebody wanted additional information about your services and what you would provide, how would they reach out to you? Well, they can reach out to me in a couple of ways. One is through my website, which is compasseducationstrategies.com. And while they're there, they can click on the sign up button and receive my monthly newsletter. And it's a newsletter that only goes to those who sign up for it. And it goes to families around the world sharing information about education and including information that will support them in all the decisions that they'll make for their child's benefit. So those are the two best ways in terms of staying in touch. And I look forward to families being in touch. All right, and Compass is not spelled the traditional way. Could you spell oh, that for me? Oh, it is. It's spelled C-O-M-P-A-S-S. P-A-S-S. Education Strategies. So that's I-E-S dot com. I-E-S, thank you very, very much. So Dr. Pamela Ellis, it's been a pleasure having you on and talking about the Common App, especially since it is a timely subject for um, many families as we start to go into the application season um, as they are looking at various different schools and trying to figure out which forms they're going to need to complete. And I am sure that the information that you shared with us today is going to be helpful and valuable to them as they move forward. Thank you very much, Mrs. Gopal. I appreciated the opportunity. All right. It's my pleasure to have you. And again, if people are looking for her, please go and visit her at her website. And there will be a link in our show notes that will lead you to her website so that you can listen in so that you can find her and ask her questions. And in addition, she's also somebody who has her own weekly show, which is the Education Doctor radio show. And I think that that would also be a really great resource for you to check out. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast where we will continue to legally share college insider information with parents and students from the insiders themselves. For more information and to instantly download your free copy of the College Funding Resources Report titled Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Mike Elmore for the College Experts Talk Podcast. 